What's poppin' people? Welcome back to Sunday School. Sunday School is a show that usually airs every Sunday at 2 p.m. EST, where we read through the Bible and we try to understand what God's Word means and how we can apply it to our lives. I believe that the Bible is the Word of God. It is the inspired words of prophets, people who were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down the truth, the truth of what they personally experienced of God and what others personally experienced of God. But what I've encountered as a Christian, as I've been on my walk, is that many Christians don't really have a good understanding of what the Bible actually says. Especially in the modern day with the advent of the internet, it has exacerbated the problem of heresy. And heresy basically just boils down to false beliefs, lies about God that people believe are true. Essentially, rather than actually reading for themselves what the Bible says, you hear the geese? Yeah, it's the early morning here in New Jersey. We're out in the Pine Barrens right now on some swamp. This is some old abandoned cranberry field. I think it's very scenic. I think it's very pretty. So that's why I chose to film out here. But you know, you're going to get the occasional noise. And we're kind of close to a highway. So you might be able to hear some of that noise. But anyways, you know, rather than actually reading the Bible for themselves, most Christians or self-professing Christians, because I don't believe most Christians actually believe what Jesus taught, but they basically just like watch online videos, they go to their church, and that's basically the only exposure they have to the actual word of God. The most they really hear of it is little snippets, like maybe one or two verses that their pastor might read at the pulpit on Sunday. And so I'm trying to set out here to help expand your mind and open your mind up to the truth of God that I think many people misunderstand and have never been exposed to. And so I've decided to read the book of Romans because the book of Romans is essentially a summary of the whole Bible. The book of Romans goes through the entire gospel. It goes through the Old Testament and the law and the Ten Commandments and then bridges the gap from the Jewish Tanakh to the New Testament with Jesus and how the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ died on a cross and rose again three days later, how that fits into the biblical narrative and what we're supposed to take away from it. The book of Romans is going to be a very, very troubling book, I think, for most people. And this Bible study will be extremely troubling because we're going to be breaking it down to the best of our abilities. Because the book of Romans basically destroys every conception that most denominations of Christianity have on how to get to heaven. If you're a faith plus works Pentecostal, it's going to mess you up. 
if you're a faith alone, Lutheran, Baptist, you're a Calvinist, it's going to mess you up. If you're a Catholic who believes in doing the sacraments and confession and willful sin, it's a book that spits in the face of all man-made religions. And so many people when reading the book of Romans have to twist the words that it's saying to make it fit their doctrine. Even myself, when I read it in preparation for this Bible study, it really challenged me and I had to rethink a lot of my beliefs and a lot of my conceptions about what it means to be a Christian. But anyways, without further ado, let's get into the text. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. The book of Romans is an epistle. An epistle is, that, that's a fancy word for a letter. An epistle is a you know, written text that you send through the mail to someone else for them to read. And this was written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is an apostle, right? What does that word apostle mean? Well, it means to be sent out in Greek. The word apostle is essentially the equivalent to the word we use in English today, missionary. Paul was a missionary who went out to spread the message of Jesus Christ to the world. But many people don't like Paul. Many people say that Paul is a false apostle. This is a very popular belief among Muslims, but even Christians or so-called Christians will say the apostle Paul is a fake apostle. So is he a fake apostle? Well, if we go to Peter's second epistle, which is included in the Bible, it's a letter written by Peter to the church as a whole. Peter tells us what his thoughts are on the Apostle Paul. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, has written unto you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things that are hard to be understood, which they which are unlearned and unstable wrestle with as they do with all the other scriptures unto their own destruction. So he says there, Peter, right? Peter is the chosen apostle, one of the people that was there with Jesus from the beginning. Catholics say he was the first pope. No one disputes Peter's authenticity as an apostle. And Peter says that Paul is a beloved brother. But he does warn us that the things Paul writes are very troubling and hard to understand. And so people who are unstable or who don't know a lot will twist his words to try and make them mean something that they're not. So we have to be careful. So Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom 
are ye also the called of Jesus. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So right here we learn a lot. And it's just the introduction, but Paul has a way, and really all the word of God, when you read it, if you're not someone who's read the Bible before, you'll be really surprised by how much detail and how much information is packed into just every sentence and every word in the Bible. Every word, you know, it, it, it almost seems like it has to be inspired by God because it just seems to pick the perfect words to where in just one sentence it can contain the meaning of thousands of sentences, you know, an entire book in one sentence. But the first thing we learn here in Paul's introduction in Romans chapter 1 is this. The gospel of God concerning Jesus Christ, which God promised beforehand, by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. See, Christianity is derivative of the religion that is known today as Judaism. Christianity, according to the Bible at least, is an extension of that. It's basically Judaism part two. Or you could even say that it is the true Judaism. See, in the Old Testament, it's very clear that one day in the future, God is going to send this person called the Messiah. The first time the Messiah is prophesied is in Genesis chapter 3. It's the chapter where Adam and Eve eat the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Right, so you guys know the story of Genesis. God makes the heavens and the earth and God puts Adam and Eve in the garden and God gives them one commandment. He says, there's this tree over here. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the fruit of this tree, if you eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be given the knowledge of good and evil. So don't eat of it. I don't want you to eat of it. I'll be very angry at you because if you eat of this tree, you will die. So that's what God says to Adam and Eve. And so God kind of leaves whatever his physical manifestation was that Adam and Eve saw, it left them. And they were left to their own devices, and so they probably got it on. And eventually, you know, they kind of split up. They went exploring for a little bit. They say, oh, we'll meet up a little bit later around dinner time. And so Eve, you know, she went over to observe the tree. And this snake, who uh, we know as Satan, possessed by Satan, this snake, he comes up to Eve and he says, if you eat this tree, Eve, you will not die. Instead, you'll become like God and that you'll have all the wisdom of the world, just like how God does. And so Eve thought in herself, she considered, you know, well, that would be a good thing, right? It would be a good thing to be like God. And so she eventually decided to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when she did that, she was given the knowledge of good and evil, like it, like the name of the tree says. But she didn't surely die, at least not yet. And so she got the knowledge of 
all the evil things that she could do to her partner, Adam. And not only that, but all the evil things she could do to herself, all the evil things that she could do to the world around her, all the wicked ways that we can destroy the world, you know, and hurt animals and all that. And so Eve, I guess out of guilt, convinced Adam into eating that apple as it's called too. And so they both had the knowledge of evil. And so God came back in some kind of physical manifestation. And he was very angry at them when he found out that they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so God cursed them. And not only did he curse them, but he cursed the whole world. He cursed them primarily with death. That from now on, the human life would not be infinite, but the human life would be finite and that all people would be destined to die. And this is so that the world won't become a living hell, right? If everyone lived forever, then eventually people would just keep getting eviler and eviler and eviler and they wouldn't die. So the world would just become hell. And plus it would probably get overpopulated. Who knows what? So he cursed them with death. But in addition to this, he also cursed them with suffering. And he cursed the world with suffering as a punishment for what Adam and Eve did. But God made a promise to Eve. And God said one day in the future, there will be a woman like you. But she will give birth to a son without need of a man, right? A virgin will give birth to a child. And this child, this man, will crush the serpent under his feet. And he will set humanity free from this horrible fate which they have been placed in. And they, he will reconcile humanity with the Creator. And so throughout the whole Old Testament, we see the story of this promise getting passed down generation to generation to generation of people until finally Jesus Christ, the child who was prophesied to be born of a virgin who would crush Satan under his head or crush Satan under his foot, excuse me, crush Satan's head under his foot was born. And throughout the Bible, the prophecy, the promise gets more and more and more clarified. And the place where it's the most clarified is in Isaiah chapter 53. Let me open it up for you. Who has believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground, he has no form or comeliness. So he's not pretty. He's not someone to look at. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. So they wanted him to be killed. They wanted this man sent by God to be killed. They despised him. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. 
the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned every one to their own way, and the Lord has laid the evil of us all upon him. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For a transgression of my people he was stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. And when you shall make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear the iniquities. Therefore I will divide with him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for transgressors. Now right there we have the story of Jesus, right? The passion story, right? You watch the movie Passion of the Christ, the story of Jesus' death, and that's the story being told in Isaiah 53, which was written, I believe, something like 700 years before Jesus ever lived. So when Jews try to say, and not to, not to be anti-Semitic, but you know, when Jews try to say that Jesus isn't the Messiah or Jesus didn't fulfill the prophecies, it's like throughout the whole Bible, it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus over and over again. And right there, not only does it describe the death of Jesus, but it also explains Christian theology extremely well. What Isaiah is talking about is what we are eventually going to read in around chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, that area of this Bible study. When we get to there, we're going to actually see what Isaiah 53 is talking about explained in more simple language, less poetic language. But what Paul's saying here in his intro, he says, which he promised before in the scriptures, he's saying that this gospel is something that God pre- predicted in the Old Testament. It's not something new. It's not something that is foreign. If you're a Jew and you have a deep understanding of the Old Testament, as we call it, or the Tanakh, as they call it, then you should have a great understanding of Christianity already, even if you're not converted yet. And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And what that's saying right there, is that we know Jesus was the Son of God and that he was the Messiah. The greatest proof, other than his fulfillment of the prophecies, is that he came back to life after he died. He rose from the dead. And this proves that Jesus was the Messiah. And we learn finally that he's writing this letter to Rome. 
to the saints in Rome. So let's see what Paul has to say to the saints in Rome. First, I thank God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now this letter is being written, I'd have to imagine sometime in 50, 60, maybe 70 AD. I would say probably a little bit before that. So around 60 AD, sometime around there. And Paul was a traveling missionary who was traveling. He started off as a Jew, right? And he actually hated Christians. And he sought out to kill Christians. But eventually he got converted to Christianity when he had a supernatural vision from God. And afterwards he learned about Christianity and then met to talk to the apostles, which were in Jerusalem at the time where the early church was starting. And he basically got permission, or I guess maybe he got tutored by the apostles to make sure that what he was teaching was orthodox and after that he was sent out as a missionary to bring the gospel to the rest of the roman empire along with silas barnabas a few other people and so paul's main missionary trips that he took were to what we know as turkey today and greece and paul's main plan was to eventually travel to Rome and eventually even to Spain. Now, Paul did eventually make it to Rome, we know from the book of Acts, but the book of Romans is written prior to the book of Acts, or at least the ending of the book of Acts. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make prayers and mentions of you always, making request if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that you might be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith of both you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. So, he's just saying there, I want to come to Rome, I haven't been able to, you know, lots of stuff going on over here in Greece and in Turkey. But he's praying for them often, because he, I'm sure, like all the people in the world, apparently, they find it amazing that all the way in Rome, and Rome at this time was pagan, right? They believed in the Greek pantheon. They believed in Zeus. They believed in uh, Jupiter. They believed in Mars. They believed in Venus, these gods. That there were people in Rome worshiping the Jewish god Yahweh. And so he's praying for them. I am a debtor to both the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So right here, we learn 
the reason why Paul is writing this letter to the Romans. He says he's writing this letter to teach them the gospel, right? Because the people in Rome, they're very far away and far separated from Israel, from Jerusalem, where the passion of the Christ took place, where the resurrection took place. And so they might have, you know, a false idea, a false view of what Jesus actually did. And so he's probably trying to make sure they don't get taken away into heresy, right? They don't get taken away into false doctrine. So he's writing this letter to assure them of what the actual teachings of Jesus were. And in this, he includes something important. He says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, what does that salvation mean? Well, right, like we were talking about in the book of Genesis, right? God promised to Eve that one day a child was going to come. This child was going to crush the serpent, Satan, under his foot. He's going to grind his skull into the ground. And he was going to save humanity. He was going to restore our relationship with God. And as we read through the book of Romans, we'll really understand what that word salvation means. We'll understand what it is Jesus actually did for us. What does it mean when we say in church, you know, Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. What does that mean? But he says this, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. See, there's many Christians, I, I wouldn't call them Christians personally, but people like the Christian identity movement or the black Hebrew Israelite movement who believe that the only people that can be saved and salvation essentially means to go to heaven, right? That the only people that can go to heaven are Jewish people, that Christianity and Judaism is basically like this race cult and you have to have like the right skin color in order to go to heaven. But Paul's immediately dispelling this. So unless you believe that the Greeks were Jewish or you believe that the Jews were black and that the Greeks were black and the Romans were black, you know, obviously, you know, that's that's a little kooky if you believe all of Europe was black and then, you know, only recently in the past couple hundred years became white. You know, that, that's goofy. But I mean, if you believe that, you believe that. You know, but I think this very clearly dispels this myth. He's writing to the Romans, right? The Romans are different from the Greeks. And he also says that the barbarians have been saved. And we know from the book of Acts that even people in Africa got saved. And maybe even people in India were getting saved by this point. So the gospel's not just for people of Jewish descent. It's for people of any descent, of any race, of any creed, of any culture. It's for anybody, no matter how evil you are, no matter how much you've messed up, no matter how much of an alien you are in this society, God still loves you, you know, and God wants you. So the end of this first chapter here, Paul's going to get into a very big and important question that many atheists ask. Atheists say, right, 
there's a hundred million gods or you know like two hundred thousand gods in the world and you believe yours is right right like that's what they say and then you know there's been iterations of that meme made by christians where then you have the chad the giga chad guy and he's like yeah i do believe that and that's me i'm the giga chad guy saying yes mine's is right but you know that that is a good question right if god is the only true god and all of humanity is descended from you know two people who had connection to this one god why is it that all these different societies worship all these other false gods you know why is it that there's so many different religions and why is it that every religion kind of like is different and teaches different things so paul's going to begin here answering this question and the reason why this question is so important is because we have to first establish if we're going to establish christianity right because that's what the book of romans is about it's He's trying to teach the Romans the full doctrine of Christianity. Well, in order to understand Christianity, we have to establish, you know, is God real, right? That's a fundamental question. And then what's the afterlife like? You know, what does God think about us? How does God want us to relate to him, right? Well, unfortunately, I'm going to have to cut this short and we'll get into this question next week on Sunday School. So tune in, subscribe to the channel every Sunday at 2 p.m. EST. I was planning on doing it on this episode, but I ran out of battery. You know, that's just what happens, guys. You know, that's what happens. So anyways, thanks for watching. I hope this helped you out. Apologize for the shortness of the episode. We'll see you guys in the next one. Bye.